Uh, amen. Let's start with prayer. Father, thank you for, for a morning where we can reflect on your love and mercy for us. as We can see it imaged for us and pictured for us in the, the, the broken bread and the juice. And Lord, as we can sing to you and, and remind ourselves and our hearts with the words that these others have written for us that, that you are a God who is amazing. <laughs> You're a God who has provided our greatest need, and Lord, I pray that out of our hearts would flow a gratefulness that, that we can't even begin to put into words. Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful for this place. We're grateful for these people in this room with us, but most importantly, we are grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. You can grab a seat. <clears throat> If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, and if you don't, we have some Bibles available out uh, in the lobby area there for you. You can grab those. But uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We will get there, I promise. It's going to take us a little while to get there, but I promise we will get there. I just want to do a few things first, uh, and this seems to be the most appropriate time to do that. Um, Okay, so this, this is a four-week series that we begin today, and I'll explain that a little bit more later. <clears throat> Following that, there's a three-week series, then there's a one-week thing, and then there's a four-week series, and then it's Christmas. So get your shopping done. Um, <laughs> and, and, and most of you didn't even really follow that, but that's okay. What, what I want to just explain to you is that at the conclusion of this series, beginning on October 8th, um, we're going to start a three-week series on October 8th that is going to deal with the issues of gender, marriage, and sexuality. Um, obviously, please be praying about that. Uh, as we approach these things, we're not going to be talking about them from a political perspective. We're not going to be talking about them from a, uh, this is my opinion perspective. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to present what we believe the Bible teaches on each of those topics. And... Um, some of you may be asking, why would you touch those things? Um, that is not the recipe for church growth, in case you're wondering. Um, actually, there's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is we need to make sure our church, not our building, but our church uh, is protected by the law. And that sounds goofy and foolish, but in this day and age that we live, uh, if we specifically spell out what we believe the Bible teaches on those issues, and we include those in our foundational documents that affords us a level of protection in today's culture that we, we actually need. Um, there are those who would like to see the church of Christ torn down. And thankfully, we know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. However, that being said, that's the church universal, not the church local. And so we want to do our part in being good stewards of what it is that God's given to us here. So that's one of the reasons we're going to be working through that. <clears throat> And so what has happened is the elders have been working together as we gather uh, through a, a statement, through a, okay, what do we believe the Bible teaches about gender, marriage, sexuality? And so we've been kind of uh, composing that for the past few months. And when we begin this series on October 8th, we're going to make that available to you. Uh, again, and then again, we'll roll it out in January at some point. Our hope is in January. Uh, that's when we will uh, go through our new constitution and bylaws, and that's where everybody goes, wah, 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 wah. Uh, Those are important documents that we're working through. Um, but if we include those statements of what we believe about gender, uh, marriage, and sexuality in our constitution and bylaws, then that gives us some protection in today's, today's culture. Uh, that's one reason is the protection, but let me, let me be clear. That's not the main reason. 
The main reason that we're going to preach through this series is because, folks, we need to do better. We need to do better. And that, that can be taken every way that you're imagining right now. We need to stand strong on Scripture and not current opinion. We, we need to stand strong for what, what Christ defines marriage as. We need to stand strong in those areas. And we also need to stop inflicting such undue harm on the people who struggle in these areas in our culture. We must speak with an accent to our language, and that accent needs to be graceful. And so we, we need to do better. And so my hope, my prayer, is that we will continue to look at things through the lens of Scripture. And at the end of the day, uh, we will have a better understanding of where we stand based on God's Word. Um, if you hear that and you think we have lost our minds, it is true we have. You're a little late to thinking that. It happened a while ago. Uh, but if you hear that and you're thinking, man, I got questions about what you're going to do, then let me encourage you. Not today. Please, not today. Um, I would ask you, not today. Um, but anytime after today, if you'd like to fire an email to me or drop a note or, or whatever and ask your specific question, we will be quick to get back to you and to have an opportunity to kind of talk through those things. In addition to that, what you could do is wait till we begin the series on October 8th. It's a three-week series. So it'll be the 8th, the 15th, and 22nd. Uh, we were, will be hosting forums around those Sundays. It'll probably be on Monday evenings. We haven't decided yet for sure. And in those times, the elders will be present, the pastors will be present, I'll be present. And you can come, and you, if you hear something on Sunday you have a question about, that's the place to let it, let it fly and give us an opportunity to answer from Scripture um, why we said what we said. And, and then also a time to pray with us and for us. Um, so why am I sharing this right now? First, my message is really short, and I need to fill the time. So I think, and none of you believe that. <laughs> um, honestly, the, the reason is we, we covet your prayers as we work through this. Um, yeah, we, we covet your prayers. Uh, just leave it at that. How's that? So please be praying for us as we head into that time. Lots more information coming about that. Um, so that, that, so it's this series for four weeks, then gender, marriage, sexuality for three weeks, and then I've asked Pastor Patrick to come and preach that one service there. I haven't given him a tie, I just said, whatever God lays on your heart, so that way he can get up here in front of us, and we can get to know our new youth pastor as he lays out what God's laid on his heart, so that'll be fun. And then, and I'm actually, I'm really excited about this. I have fallen in love with this book of the Bible. We're going to go through a four-week series on the book of Ruth. I, uh, the ladies love that book. Guys, you will too. And without preaching the whole thing, it's crazy. You get some cranky mother-in-law, a very uh, allegiant young lady, and you get big, bad Boaz. He's the burliest man in all the Bible. How many other bees can I put in there? <laughs> that, was pretty, that was pretty good. I wasn't even trying. Um, but it's, he is like the macho man. I mean, it's, it's, I've got to be careful because I would love to launch into the story right now. But it's a, it's a great book, and it leads us to our next series after that, Christmas perfectly. So, looking forward to all that good stuff. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you have not found 2 Corinthians 8 by now, you will never find it, so just sit back and listen, all right? <laughs> um, today, the, the series that we start today is called Not So Common Sense. What in the world is that about? It is about generosity. Now, as you stop clutching your chest, thinking, or your wallet, um, thinking we're coming after you. I, I know the concerns that come up. Church folk, not so church folk. Anybody, when we use the word generosity, we instantly think, oh, that's all the church ever talks about is money. 
Well, let me, let me be clear about a couple things. First, this will be the first time in over a year that I've spoken about money at Uniontown Bible Church. Uh, secondly, um, well, let me say this. Your cynicism probably is well-deserved. I do think there are places that abuse it, and so we want to be careful in that. But thirdly, generosity isn't just about money. Um, it includes money, but it's about much more than money. It's about your time and your energy and your efforts and your, your talents. It's about enthusiasm, your relationships, your service, and, and it is about your, your money as well. Generosity includes the financial aspect. Uh, the passage that we're going to look at over the next four weeks is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and it's talking specifically towards a, a financial situation, an offering that was to be taken. And so my hope is to unpack that, but then make application in all the other areas where we need to be uh, generous. Well, why talk about generosity? Why talk about money at all, Frank? It's, well, let me be clear. It's because God talks about it. In fact, Jesus Christ speaks more about money and finances than he does heaven or hell. And so we, we in uncomfort, and again, that's the comfort should never drive our conversation, but out of uncomfortableness, we tend to pull back and stay away from it. So um, we're not talking about generosity because we're in financial trouble as a church. By God's good grace, we are in good financial standing. We praise God for that. We're not talking about generosity because you aren't generous as a church. I think it's the exact opposite, and I want to spell that out very specifically. Um, this is important for us to do every once in a while. I want to stand in front of you, and I want to thank you for your generosity. And here's some of the ways you have demonstrated generosity. First and foremost, the Francis Scott Key football team. You guys have kind of adopted those kids, and you feed them well. It cracked me up on Wednesday for a delivery of ham and then a delivery of cheese to show up in the middle of our staff meeting. We're like, what's going on? Evidently, they're making sandwiches for the boys. So... You do a wonderful job with that. For those of you who don't know, every week before their game, the boys eat, and Uniontown Bible Church has adopted them, and we have been providing the food, and they eat. So thank you. That is generosity. Another picture of generosity is the Secret Keeper Girls, which, which I, I, the purple party tour, I got it right that time. I can never get that purple part right. The, the, the number of people that showed up that Saturday morning to help them set up. So, so this bus, this big tour bus shows up with all these people in it who run this program from church to church to church. And they show up and, and they start carrying things in because this place gets transformed. It was unbelievable. They had, what, three, four hundred young girls and their moms here for this big event and to set it up. And then I'm standing here watching, actually, a full confession, completely by accident. I came in on Saturday morning to do something. I'm like, hey, there's a bus. <gasps> um, However, you didn't forget, because this place became like ants on a hill. You descended out of everywhere, and there was people running around setting things up, and I talked to the director of the tour, and he's like, we never get volunteers like this to help us set up. And I said, well, you don't go to Uniontown Bible Church every weekend, do you? That was generous on your part, very generous on your part. The pick three, the program that we have for people within our church to volunteer to work in our children's classrooms so that their teachers, their regular teachers, can take time off during the summer. You guys just, it was, you, you drowned it. It was amazing. I did my one week. Huh? That was enough? <laughs> I'll share a funny story for you. Pat Wood is always riding me because whenever he works in the children's area, those are the Sundays that I end up preaching long. And he's like, man, how did you preach so long? I'm in here with all the kids. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I really do feel bad about it. The Sunday that I was in, Mark Andres preached, and he finished 15 minutes early. 
And Pat was livid. <laughs> like, that's not fair. I thought it was great. It was fine by me. So, so it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool. But you guys killed that. Um, the 6K for water. That was awesome. That was a new event for us. It's something that we'll do again with World Vision. And you came and, and money was raised to provide fresh water for people. Mission trips over the last year. I mean, you have given your time, your energy, your vacation days, your financial support, your talents to going to places like New Zealand and Peru, going to the Dominican Republic, going to, to, to Jolo, going to Arizona. I mean, there's, there's all of these things. I mean, that has been remarkable to watch, and that's an evidence of a generous spirit. Uh, meals, bring them a meal. That thing pops up on our, our Facebook feed every once in a while when somebody's in need of meals, and people in the church fill those slots. And let me use this kind of as a segue. If you're not following our Facebook page, let me encourage you to do that. A lot of stuff comes up on our Uniontown uh, Facebook page. That's a good place to get that information. Giving to the, the relief of the efforts in Houston for Hurricane Harvey. I mean, we, we just kind of threw that out there on Friday last week um, because of some things that had come up. And, and we had said, you know, whatever comes in, we'll give to Samaritan's Purse or, and to the, the Convoy of Hope. And uh, you guys, so that was Friday. On Sunday, a couple of thousand of dollars just kind of came in from you. That's amazing. And you know what? We're going to have opportunity to be generous again in that area, unfortunately. So we should continue to keep the folks in Florida in prayer. Uh, this one's a little harder, but it's real. Funerals. Um, so so I, uh, let me go way back. I'll go back to Christmas time. And since Christmas time, um, we have done seven funerals at Uniontown. And only one of them was somebody who was over the age of 35. It's been, it's been a tragic season. It's been a hard season. The last two weekends, we've had over 1,000 people sitting in these seats because of a memorial service, and, and, and both of them out of tragedy. Now, now I'll be honest with you, I, I don't like funerals. I don't enjoy them. The reason to bring people together, it's horrible. There's a lot of other things my heart cries out for. But, you know, I, I would be, I have enough energy and, and, and effort and understanding that I could stand up and preach the gospel at every funeral service that popped up, and, and that'd be great. I wouldn't need your help. But to clean up after those things, I can't do it. And our staff can't do it alone. And in the last two weeks, on Friday nights, we've had dozens of you come to help us clean up and get the building ready for Sunday. That's generosity. Generosity are those crazy backpacks so, so funny story, we, we, um, every year, the last two years now anyway, we collect backpacks and school uh, um, supplies for Elmer Wolf Elementary. Now, on Wednesday of the week, that, uh, Sunday was it, on that Wednesday, we're looking at the backpacks up here on the stage and there's like, oh, well, that's not enough. So we were a little worried, like, what happened? I mean, and, and we kind of sat down and put our heads together. It, just, it was just a weird calendar situation, the way everything laid out. It's like, uh, it's, it's just, it got missed because of this, this, and that. Okay, okay, okay. And then that Sunday, we didn't know what to expect. We put word out, like, we, we need school supplies. We need to be able to help these kids at Elmer Wolf. And on Sunday, it was like Walmart threw up on our stage. There were so many school. I mean, we had just, I think it was 98 backpacks. And then a bazillion piles of school supplies. We took four or five carloads of school supplies over to Elmer Wolf Elementary. So much so that every student who needed help in that area got help in that area. Every teacher and the school took from the school supplies and stored as much of it as they could, and then they ran out of room. 
And so we got the school supplies back here, and a representative from the Carroll County School District came, picked those things up, and brought those school supplies and delivered them to Tawnytown Elementary, Northwest Middle School, and FSK High School. So do not hear that we're doing a series on generosity and think, oh, they don't think we're very generous. It's the furthest thing from the truth. You know what I've learned is that it's the best time to talk about uncomfortable topics when they're not an issue. Right now, it's not an issue. But let's make sure our generosity is grounded in the things it needs to be grounded in. And what is that? What, what, what is it um, that our, our generosity, I just realized that I didn't have my remote control here in front of me to put the slide up, so just give me a second, we'll take care of that. Got a little carried away. I know you're surprised. There we go. What motivates generosity? The secret's out. I use a remote. Now we busted. Okay, so moving on. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, now we're to the passage, now I can preach. 15 minutes, no problem. I told you it was short. 1 Corinthians is written to the church at Corinth. Paul is writing, and when he ends that letter, in chapter 16, starting in verse 1, going to verse 4, he says, listen, church at Corinth, there is a group of people in Jerusalem who are in great financial need. They're finding themselves impoverished. They are struggling. They need help. And so we're going to take an offering. We're going to take a a collection. That's what happens in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. In reading our passage in in chapter 8 and in chapter 9, um, what you find is that the church at Corinth at some point got on board with that, got excited about that, got enthusiastic about that, and continued to talk, okay, well, we're in. We're going to take up an offering. And then as you read, what you find out is they hadn't done anything yet. And this is Paul addressing that. So would you follow along with me as I start reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed and a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means, and as I can testify, they gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, I mean, it's not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything else, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be made rich." So what Paul does in the beginning of chapter 8 is pretty much what I just did about Uniontown Bible Church. He says to the church at Corinth, listen, I've got to brag on this church, these churches from the Macedonian region right now. You've got to hear how generous these people are. It's going to blow your mind. See, what he did is there's a contrast. 
The church at Corinth is just east of Italy. It's kind of down in this area. I can visualize it here. It's got a little bit of an isthmus for you geography buffs in the middle there. And the ships would come and they would cross through the isthmus. And because of that, it became this very wealthy financial sector right there in, in Corinth. You go north of Corinth and you find the churches of Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia are the Philippian church, the Thessalonican church, and the Berean church. You can read about uh, Paul planting those churches in Acts chapter 16, and as he's kind of going through that area and and planting those churches. So so there's a contrast. You've got Corinth down here, very wealthy, and then you look north to the Macedonian churches. They're not very wealthy. So, So what motivated their generosity? Well, Paul tells us a few things that didn't motivate it. I mean, you look at verse 2, they were in a severe test of affliction. It wasn't because their surroundings were good. It wasn't because circumstances were good. It wasn't because everything was rolling well for them. A severe test of affliction, that, that doesn't mean you have a flat tire. It doesn't mean you're, you're lost because your GPS took a wrong turn again. It doesn't mean you got the sniffles. A severe test of affliction means that your car has been demolished, destroyed, totaled means you're on a desert island, means you've got stage four cancer. See, the the, the Macedonian church in that area, they had been ravaged by war and then plundered by the Romans. And then you add to that being a follower of Jesus Christ and what came along with it was intense persecution. You see that in Acts 16 as as Paul goes to preach and and develop these churches in that area. You, You see people rise up against Paul because of the gospel. You see severe persecution in that area. And so Paul says, listen, the Macedonian church, they weren't generous because things were going easy for them. They were in severe test of affliction. And yet, in the middle of that affliction, what stood out about them? Verse 2, their abundance of joy. So so the Macedonian church was much different than us today. They, They don't whine as much as we do. They don't complain as many of us do when things don't go our way. They're, they're, they're not pouting or moping, like, everybody's against us, and we don't have the same rights as everybody else. Our life is so hard. It's the Eeyore Christian that we are way too familiar with. So this, this huge, intense affliction is coming upon them, and what's being squeezed out of them is this unbelievable, unnatural, abundant joy. Man, that's divine. That's supernatural that you could be joyful in the midst of those difficulties. So what about you? In the midst of your affliction, in the midst of your difficulty, what's working out in you? What's coming from you? Is it abundant joy or is it just the response that you would expect just adding to the piles of just another miserable Christian? Let me be clear about something. Joy is not happiness. That, that's not joy. Um, so, so <laughs> hey, I lost my job. <laughs> no, that's not what he's calling for. Got diagnosed with cancer. Winky face. That's not what he's calling for. That, that's, that's ridiculous. That's foolishness. Joy is a much deeper thing. Joy, joy isn't bound to your surrounding circumstances. Joy is bound to a relationship Joy is when you, you love and adore and cherish God more than anyone or anything else. 
And so when these things happen, what ends up occurring in your heart is you experience the comfort of joy. Knowing that all this garbage is happening around you, and yet there is still a God on the throne, and He loves you, and He redeemed you, and you stand accepted before His eyes because of what Jesus Christ did for you. That's supernatural for you to be able to be in the middle of that affliction, in the middle of that difficulty, and cling to a joyful spirit and say, no, I have a God who loves me even in the middle of these most painful times. It's not foolish laughter. It's a comfort of your soul. It's, we, we finished the series a few months back now, the, the series on the minor prophets. It's Habakkuk. It's Habakkuk who, who has this running dialogue with God. He's like, God, where are you? Aren't you paying attention? Look at all this stuff that's happening. My life is falling apart. Look how hard this is. And God says, hey, I'm right here. I got this. And I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to bring in the Babylonians. They're going to judge you. They're going to judge your people. I'm going to wipe you all out. I love Habakkuk's response. is like, you are holy. You are good. You are God. Are you crazy? Do you know who those people are? That's going to hurt. God says, hey, 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 hey. I'm God. I got this. I know how this works. And, and, and after some time, Habakkuk's final response, let me read it to you at the end of Habakkuk chapter 3. He says, even though the fig tree doesn't blossom, there's no fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the the fields yield no food. The flock is cut off from the fold. There's no herd in the stalls. I mean, that is complete and utter economic and agricultural ruin. And Habakkuk says, even if that's the case, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. Why? Because he's receiving the comfort of his soul knowing that God has not abandoned him, even though there is severe affliction. So in the Macedonian churches, what you're, you're having is, is you're having this incredible generosity kind of pouring out of them and pouring out of them. And these people got to be looking like, what is causing that? Where is that coming from? Oh, it must be because things are going good for them. And Paul says, no, no, they're in a severe test of affliction. Oh, it must be because they're loaded. Paul says, no, actually, they're in extreme poverty extreme poverty. That doesn't mean you just can't afford the greatest vacation ever. It doesn't mean you can't go purchase the truck you want to purchase. The word extreme in that phrase, extreme poverty, is, is a word that is used for a scale. And so if you, you stretch out a scale from beginning to end and you go to the absolute lowest point on the scale, that last little tick on the scale, you can't go any lower. It is absolute zero. You're to the depths absolute rock bottom. And Paul says, these people are experiencing a poverty that just drops off the charts. They're the beggar who has nothing, has no hope of getting anything, and all of their possessions were just stolen. Nothing. They have nothing. These Macedonian churches were experiencing an incredible amount of poverty. I get it. Many of us can relate. Your debt load is ridiculous. Maybe your loans have been called due. Your home mortgage just ballooned. Your hours just got cut at work. Your roof started to leak. Your car is breaking down. Feel that? 
Now multiply that a couple hundred times. The intense poverty of the Macedonian churches was known worldwide. And in the middle of that, what stood out about them? They didn't freak out like you and I might. What happened is this, the, 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 the end of verse 2, it says that they were, had extreme poverty and it overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They, they, it, just, it, it came out of them. They became this generous people even though they were going through such great poverty. I love verses 3 and 4 because Paul says, listen, no, you don't understand. These people were so generous, they gave according to their means. And, and I can tell you, I was there. They didn't just give according to their means. They gave beyond their means. They gave more than they were able to. It's almost like Paul was, was with them and he was trying to pass the plate. And he's like, no, stop, stop, that's too much. That's too, you're giving too much. You can't afford that. But that was the spirit of the Macedonian churches. They were in incredible poverty, and yet they overflowed with incredible generosity. And then, then you look at verse 4, and it says that they were begging for the opportunity to give to this offering to help the saints in Jerusalem. That, that doesn't happen very often. They were begging. Please. But what you get there is a sense that Paul wasn't even asking the Macedonian churches to contribute because they were so impoverished. But you imagine that. Hey, Paul, Paul, come on, man. Let us give. You don't have anything. We'll give it anyway. Get back here with that basket. I'm going to put a little extra in there. You, you don't have anything. It doesn't matter. Let us be generous. Why? Where did that come from? It came from an understanding of grace. The Macedonian churches had figured out grace. They had experienced it. They understood it. They were living it. And as a result, they were motivated to be generous like has never been seen before. Grace, the unconditional, unearned, undeserved kindness and goodness of God to us through Jesus Christ. Specifically, what is it? Verse 9 is exactly what it is. If you would look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, what you find is what drove the generosity of the Macedonian churches when Paul says this, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I don't know that I have to say this, but I will. Um, that is not seed of faith type stuff. Where if you give me something, I promise I will give it back to you in multiples. That is not this. This is not prosperity preaching. This is Paul saying this. You have been made rich. But I think too often in our American minds we run to finances. So, so let's unpack this a little, shall we? So, so he says, you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. When was Jesus rich? He certainly wasn't financially, financially rich. When was Jesus rich? It was, he was rich when he was in heaven, receiving all the glory, being worshipped by angelic beings with his Father in perfect fellowship. See, this isn't a financial statement. This is a relational statement. 
when Jesus Christ was rich, he was in heaven being worshipped by all the angelic beings, perfect fellowship with his, his, his father. So, so when he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. Think about this. Jesus in heaven, worshipped by angels, with his father, perfect fellowship. And then he made himself of no reputation. Now he's born to a teenage girl in the stall of an animal. Now he's worshipped by the, the lowest of low people, the shepherds. And they bring him gifts, but compared to what he had in heaven, they're just little trinkets. Yeah, he had no place to lay his head, but it's still not a financial status. It's much deeper than that. Yet you know that though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor. Here's another way to, to state that. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He became sin who knew no sin. There's, there is Jesus, highly exalted and glorified in sinless perfection, willing to be created and be found in fashion as a man, willing to take the walk down the street to Golgotha so that all of mankind's sin could be laid upon his shoulders. See, he became sin who knew no sin so that you through his poverty might be rich. Or, or as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, in Christ, what we have is the one who, who made everything, made himself nothing. The, the, the one who, who became what we were so we could be what he is. He, Jesus Christ came and he, he took upon his shoulders the debt of sin and he paid for it with his life. When you understand the grace of God given to you through the finished work of Jesus Christ, you understand grace. And what bubbles up within you and then overflows out of you is a spirit of generosity where you view other people differently. You view them as those being made and created in the very image of God and in need of being served by the hands and feet of Christ, which you gladly do. The Macedonian church held nothing back. We have experienced this grace as they have, and so we must live like it. I think the place that we see this most clearly is found in 1 John chapter 3, and it says this, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. It's interesting that that, that verse spells it out real quick. We, we understand what love is. Love isn't that warm, fuzzy feeling you get or the goosebumps you get when that certain someone winks at you the right way. Oh, that's love. No, it's not. What love is is this, that God showed up when we needed him most and while we were still sinners, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
And John's trying to get across, listen, listen, if you understand this love that God had for you in Jesus Christ, then, then you should have that love for other people. You should lay, be willing to lay down your lives for the brothers. And, and, and again, he continues, if anybody has, has, has material possessions and he sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's an honest question. It's a good question. If you have the, the, the wherewithal to help a brother who is in need, and yet you hold it back like, well, I got mine. He's got to get his own. Come on, I don't, I don't feel responsible. Then how in the world is it that God's love could possibly be in your soul? You've obviously missed the point. You didn't deserve the love that he shed for you. So you're missing the, the whole point. I hear this wonderful frustration in John's voice as it continues, my dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but let us love with actions and in truth. What you hear from John is like, would you stop all the talk and do something? So, let me ask you this question as we close. What would keep you from being generous? What holds you back? Well, let me tell you, I think part of it is this. We, we fail to remember what has been done for us. We, 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 we fall for the trap thinking what we have is what we actually deserve. And that's why, one of the reasons, that we take time in our service monthly to observe the Lord's Supper together. So that we can hold in our hands the very, the very picture of Jesus' broken body and shed blood that was broken for you and shed for you. So that it might jog our memory to remind us that, no, those elements don't bring salvation or grace, but it reminds us of the salvation and grace we've already experienced. What makes us a generous people? When we fully grasp that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might be made rich. May we remember that this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you uh, for not just talking about love, but doing something, something wonderful about it. Thank you for giving us the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we want our lives, we, uh, we want this church to count for your glory. We want our neighbors, we want our community, we want brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are in great need to know that, that we're a generous people. We, we, we don't care if they know that we're a generous people. Let me fix that. <laughs> we want them to know that we're a people who have been rescued and redeemed by Jesus Christ, and we long to serve them. We want to be a church that's known for being so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that it gushes from us. Lord, I pray you would give us the strength to be just that and to do just that. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.